Well, how do you spot if someone's telling the truth? I don't know uh, what sort of car buyer you are. We tend to have been buyers of second-hand vehicles, sometimes in the old private sale. I remember going to uh, buy a car from Barney in 2001. Uh, Barney lived in St. Austell, and I was buying a 12-year-old, 130,000-mile Land Rover Defender. Um, And some of you already think better of me because I was doing that. Anyway, Barney was uh, there with the car, and I have to say, there's no way I knew if he was going to tell me the truth. Was Barney going to be honest about this vehicle? And what he proceeded to do was to list a whole set of faults. Uh, he told me about the smoke that would belch out as we drove along. He, he told me about the fact that when it started to rain, I'd need Wellingtons because basically it was going to start filling up with water in the front. He told me about the way that the bottom was rusting out of it. And in general, though, it was a reasonably reliable vehicle considering its age. And as a result, I bought it. Because actually, what Barney said matched up with what I saw in front of me. A a rotten 12-year-old Land Rover. And heck, it was a Land Rover. So I bought it. You see, sometimes telling the truth, when it marries up with what people see, makes a real difference. And in 3 John, what we have is a letter very much concerned with the truth. The truth of the gospel. The good news about the person of Jesus. But it's not concerned with truth in a sort of abstract ivory tower debate way. You know, a scholarly discussion on the nature of truth. Is the truth in our postmodern world? What's truth for you and what's truth for me? It's not that sort of letter. No, this is truth lived out. This is truth that makes a a real difference in your life. It's a letter from uh, the Apostle John. Uh, to a guy called Gaius, who appears to be facing some pretty stiff opposition in the church where he's living for the truth. It it follows on from 2 John, which we saw last week. And the point that John wants to make is that truth, in terms of the good news about Jesus, can always be seen. You'll be able to spot Christian truth, not just by what people say, but by the way that they live. I've divided the passage into three this morning. Uh, If you look down at 3 John, you'll see why I've divided into three, because there's three repeated uh, phrases, beginning of verse 2, dear friend or beloved, beginning of verse 5, dear friend or beloved, beginning of verse 11, dear friend or beloved. Here are the three things that John wants his beloved friend Gaius to know. And this is the first thing, it's the truth that brings joy, the truth that brings joy. John starts, the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. At the elder is John's way of referring to himself. And Gaius is clearly a long-standing Christian friend of the great apostle. But, But do you see how John describes his relationship with Gaius? I love in the truth. He loves him. Now, in Christianity, there are no cold facts. There are only warm truths that bring love. That's because when John speaks about truth, he's speaking about Jesus. That's what what he means when he says truth. He is the ultimate demonstration of God's love to us. So John prays for Gaius in verse 2. He says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you just as you are progressing spiritually. So Gaius clearly is a guy making spiritual progress and John says look I pray for your 
physical health as well. It's, it's a great model for us to pray for the whole person, spiritually and physically. But the real thing that John's concerned about, he flags up in verse 3. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. See, Gaius is a man who is faithful to the gospel. He doesn't waver from what he's learnt about Jesus. More than that, he walks in the truth. In other words, he lives out what he believes in everything he does. The truth about Jesus impacts every area of his life. Every plan he makes, every decision he takes. Uh, The Bible uses this word walk quite often to talk about living because it's an active thing, isn't it? You you take steps in a particular direction. When you're walking, you're always going somewhere. You're heading somewhere. Each step is taking you somewhere. You can choose to go this way or that way. And that is what life is like. And Gaius is constantly walking in the truth. He's stepping out uh, for following the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Meghan Markle is undergoing a massive transformation, isn't she? From sort of A, B level celebrity to member of the royal family. And that's changing everything. Because being a member of the royal family, it's not something you do. It's not like a job or, or something you attend. It is who you are. Suddenly, everything that Meghan Markle does has to be affected by the fact she is a member of the royal family. Wherever she goes, that is her identity. And she has to take decisions accordingly. So, so for instance, the handbag she now has suddenly has transformed a company in Scotland because everyone's going out to buy Meghan's handbag just because who she is. And the truth that Gaius is walking in is that he's a child of God. He's the son of a heavenly father who's loved him so much that, that he gave the Lord Jesus Christ for him. Gaius has been born again into a new family. And that family membership affects everything. It affects who he is. So if you're not yet a Christian here this morning, please understand this. Uh, Christianity isn't just a, a set of beliefs. And neither is it like a club that you join, nor is it a meeting you attend called church. Christianity is a life-changing relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. A life-changing relationship at the heart of your being that transforms everything. And that's what John loves to hear about. Do you see that in verse 4? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Because there's nothing more important than living out that relationship of love with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the world around us is full of lies. It wants to encourage you to walk in those lies. Lies that will drag you down. Lies that will leave you struggling. Lies that give you no hope. There's so many lies in our world. Walk in your good looks. You are your image. Find joy in your profile. I walk in your good health. You are your body. Find joy in the gym. Walk in your great wealth. You are your bank balance. Find joy in your spending power. Walk in your great comfort. You are your relaxation. Find joy in your home or your holiday. And those lies are what the world longs for us to walk in. And they're lies. How do we know? They just don't quite work. 
But, but Jesus, he's the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one who says, the truth will set you free. It'll set you free indeed. And that truth is the knowledge that you are loved by God. So much so that even though you deserve his punishment, he gives you his son. Even though you deserve death, he gives you life. Even though you deserve rejection, he accepts you. Even though you fail him regularly, he is committed to you and he will never let you go. That's why John says in verse 4, I've no greater joy than to hear that my children are are walking in that truth. And by children, he, he means the Christians of the church he's writing to. I've got no greater joy than to know they're living out that relationship. Can, can you see why? And of course, we'll only walk in the truth. And we'll only have our greatest joy that others are walking in that truth if we treasure Jesus above all else. You see, I can't, like, change your emotional priorities today. You, you, have, you, know, you know when you're feeling a bit down and someone says, cheer up. <laughs> you probably don't want to hit them. But, you know, you, you can't change people's emotional priorities by telling them things. You know, someone says, calm down. You know, will, you, will you just be happier? I can't change your heart. Only when you see what God has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you want more than anything else for your kids to walk in the truth or for your friends this Christmas time to hear that truth or for your family or your colleagues to experience God's love in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the truth? One of the privileges I've had, even over the last year or so, is seeing, for instance, a grown man at the top of his business weeping as he tells of a spotty teenager who he helped in YPF 30 years ago, who is now a pastor. Rejoicing at seeing someone walk in the truth. Or, or seeing a grown man, again, tears welling up in his eyes because some four and five-year-olds in Adventurers are making a relatively average job of telling people what they've been learning during the year. But he's rejoicing that people are walking in the truth. I've known of someone drive literally hundreds of miles just to meet up with a a student at university and have a coffee with them on the off chance they can help them because they are struggling to walk in the truth. And they did that because nothing brings them greater joy than seeing people know this most beautiful and glorious truth that God loves you in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is for you and he is with you. Will you walk that out? And that is what brings joy to John's heart. But, but how do you walk that out? What, what does it look like to walk in the truth? Well, that's the second thing here. It's truth seen in love. You see, If you or I were a fly on the wall looking down on Gaius' life, he wouldn't have to actually open his mouth for us to see what he believed. Have a look at verse 5 with me. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. It appears that Gaius has welcomed into his home some traveling Christians, maybe missionaries, certainly brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's treated them so well that John can say at the end of verse 6, please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. Christians should love and help other Christians. 
especially, says John, those who are working for the name of the Lord. He says in verse 7 that there are two obvious reasons for that. Firstly, if they're working for the name of the Lord whose name you want to see honored, the Lord who you love, Jesus, well, of course you want to help them. And also, he says in verse 7, no non-Christian out there is going to be able to get their heads around why that's a good thing to do. So we as Christians should be loving and helping one another. See, see, 2 John that we looked at last week was really a warning about not giving a, a platform to false teachers who are spreading lies about the gospel. But, but 3 John is, is a letter encouraging Gaius that he's been doing exactly the right thing for people who are spreading the truth about Jesus in the gospel. Welcoming them into his home. Look what John says in verse 8. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Look, says John, having them in to your home, guys, that's sharing in frontline gospel work. It's working together for the truth. And did you spot why Gaius did that at the beginning of verse 6? They don't speak about your cooking or your spare room or your incredible hospitality in terms of opening up your home. They speak about your love. That's why Gaius does it. And love, my friends, always starts at the point of personal inconvenience. You will never practically love anyone if you just wait until it's convenient for you. Love starts at the point of personal inconvenience. In fact, I dare to suggest to you that, that actually you're only truly loving someone when you first of all have to go, oh, I don't really want to do this, but I suppose I better. And if we're going to love people, that means we're going to have to sacrifice things, things we'd like to do ourselves. It means giving up self for the sake of others. And we actually see in Gaius' church, not everyone was very keen on doing that. Certainly not as keen as him. Did you see that in verse 9? I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, you said it better than me, Diotrephes, yeah, very well done. Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. Now, John's already written some general letters of the church, but, but it's not had entirely the result that he wants. So now he writes to warn Gaius about this guy, Diotrephes, where Gaius lives out the truth of the gospel in the love he shows to others, Diotrephes loves to be first. He likes to big himself up. And he likes to run John down. Do you see what he's doing in verse 10? So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Gossip only ever serves one purpose to make us look better, and to make someone else look smaller. Sometimes we gossip, you know, because we have a fact that, that no one else knows. It makes us sound important. Oh, oh, you'll, you'll never guess. It's just obviously this confidential between you and me and everyone else I've told in the last week. It's confidential between us. Just let me tell you this fact. Sometimes it's not about a fact we know. It's just about making someone look a little less good than us. Oh, oh, oh you'll, you'll never guess what they've done. Perhaps... Perhaps we should just take some time to talk about it and then pray for them, sort of. Geoff he loves gossip. 
And he wants to put John down, speaking malicious lies about him. And he also is trying to encourage other people not to be associated with the Apostle John. He's busy trying to stop anyone else in the church welcoming him as well. So, so down the pub, you can hear him reflecting on, you know, John, he's become quite narrow in his old age. Uh, or gently suggesting, well, John, I think John and his cronies, they're, they're trying to take over the church. Or saying, you know, things were a lot better before we had that visit and that letter from the Apostle John. Uh, there, there was a, never an invite for John or, or one of his friends to one of Diotrephes' little meetings. But you can bet you're sure, bottom dollar, that at the church meeting, you knew exactly who Diotrephes and his mates were going to suggest was the heart of the problem. It was the Apostle John. Now, did you see the, the contrast between these two men? Gaius, love, self-sacrifice, hospitality, working for others. Diotrephes, loves to be first, gossip, poisoning others against John. E- even trying to have him chucked out of the church. It's all about him. And it's so serious that, that John says, I'm going to have to take action. I'm going to have to name and shame this guy because of what he's doing. Now, of course, it's not difficult for us to spot the application here, is it? Be like Gaius, not Diotrephes. But let the truth of the gospel be shown in the way that you love, that we love one another. And that's, just, that's not just those, those we like or those we know. That's all Christians. That's not just talking about love. That's showing love. That's not just offering a hug. That's opening up our home. That, that's looking to the needs of fellow believers. That, that's a love that, that doesn't gossip, that doesn't talk negatively about people behind their back. Christian love that doesn't seek to exclude others from fellowship, but is always trying to welcome others in, thinking, are our relationships open to others? Now, in a church our size, you'll be glad to know that I don't think you can, A, know everyone, or B, have them all into your house. Certainly not all at once. But the danger is, then, that we're too content not to know people and not to have anyone into our home. And it's great that we've got a church lunch today. I hope that you can stay, especially if you're a newcomer here, and meet some, some folk from the church. But that is not a substitute to the general hospitality we would show one another. So, for instance, let me, let me ask you, when was the last time you had, say, a member of your life group or a member of your hub group into your home for sharing food together simply because you're in the same group? Not, not at the regular Tuesday or Wednesday meeting, but, but at some other time because you're wanting to develop relationships together. You see, it's when we show love like that that we look radically distinctive to the world around us. And can I encourage you, because this is an encouraging letter, 3 John, can I encourage you as John seeks to encourage Gaius that time and time again I do hear ways that in our church people are loving one another practically, uh, helping one another move house, looking after someone's kids when they're ill or or they're struggling, uh, helping with the shopping, even helping one another out financially. 
That there's lots of that going on in our church. But I want to encourage us that, especially in a world that thinks we're lunatics for believing that Jesus is the truth, there is no better way for us to show the world that Jesus is the truth than by the simple way that we break the bonds of our culture, throw open the front doors of our home, throw open the contents of our bank balances, throw open our precious time, and love one another in Jesus' name. Because in the end, it is vital. Because the last thing we see is that truth is seen in life. Truth is seen in life. Look at verse 11 with me. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Now, the point is simple. Gaius, do what is good. Don't be like Diotrephes. And in the very next verse... John gives him a positive example. A guy called Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. It looks like Demetrius' life is one that when you look at it, you can go, there is what a Christian should look like. There is what the Lord Jesus was talking about when he said, by the way you love one another, they'll know that you're my disciples. I think that's what he means when he says the truth itself testifies to Demetrius' life. You can see there's a bloke walking and talking in exactly the same way. And wouldn't you like that to be on your grave? I'd like to your character reference. Someone who has total integrity. Now We need to find our Demetrius, don't we? We need to find uh, the, the person we want to imitate in the Christian life. Uh, people for our kids to imitate in the Christian life. Uh, if you've got children here, I, I hope you understand, especially as they grow to be teenagers, one of the reasons you want them to go regularly to Christian groups is not just so they hear the good news about Jesus, but so they see people who are a little bit older than them living for the Lord Jesus, and they think, I quite like to be like him in five years, ten years' time. I quite like to be like her in five years, ten years' time. They see their Demetrius, and they want to live like them, someone they can imitate. And many of you will know I was a geography teacher before I went into a pastoral ministry, and I had the privilege of reading uh, the Bible and praying with another Christian bloke at the school I was at. And after four years, because I'm a bit slow, it suddenly struck me that something was rather different about Garth. And I suddenly realized I'd never heard Garth verbally run anyone down we'd been meeting one-to-one for four years we'd been praying together and you know what praying together is a great opportunity to bemoan your life circumstances and to run another person down but he'd never done that he'd only spoken well of people and I thought that that was so attractive especially when I considered how much grief the rest of us gave Garth he never ran anyone down Well, John's saying to Gaius, imitate men like Demetrius, like Garth, people who do good. And we'd all agree with him, that's a great thing to do. But it's the second half of verse 11 also has a real challenge. Look at the second half of verse 11 again. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. It's some pretty stark logic from the Apostle John. If you do what is good, in Jesus' name, you're from God. You're a true believer. But if you do what is evil... You've not seen God. In other words, you're not a genuine Christian. You don't know him. See, the Christian will inevitably live out what they believe. 
Uh, a few years ago, I was walking back to my car at a motorway service station where a, when a man pulled up in a, in a, in a car and, and wound down the window. And he s- said, hello, you speak Italiano? Um, I said, no. Uh, you, know, uh, you know Birmingham? I uh, come from exhibition in Birmingham, lovely fashion. I take fashion. I have some sample I need to sell from Milan in exhibition Birmingham. You speak Italiano? By this stage, my mind had begun processing. For one, I thought, that is a terrible Italian accent. Then I thought, that tan looks as convincing as Silvio Berlusconi. I think it's come from a pot in boots. And then I thought, why are you trying to sell fashion in the service station car park? And surely by looking at me, you can see that this is a total waste of time. (laughs) So, So I thanked him and said, no. You see, my newly acquired friend, and he was very friendly, might have claimed to be an Italian designer. At cursory glance, he might have suggested that he was an Italian designer, but a closer look revealed that his life wasn't consistent with what he was claiming. I expect he might have sounded a little bit more like he came from Dudley when he got home. See, it's possible to claim to be a Christian, even to look like a Christian at cursory glance. It's it's possible to go to church or even a, a midweek group but actually to live a life that reveals that we are not genuine followers of the Lord Jesus, that that we're not born again into God's family because we don't have that family likeness of wanting to love other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why not showing hospitality is so serious in 3 John. That's why John can say anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And I think he's making a pretty heavy hint here, isn't he, about Diotrophes, Because a mark of the indwelling spirit of God is that you will love other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will want to walk in the truth. You, if you deliberately reject true believers, if you shun other Christians and you badmouth them, well, that in the end suggests you're not a true follower of Jesus yourself. Well, 3 John ends in the same way that uh, 2 John ended, with what I think is a very good principle. Do you see it down there in verse 13? I have much to write to you. Um, That's uh, what we used to do, involved a a pen and a bit of paper, but he could have written text or email. I have much to text, email, or write to you, but I do not want to do with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. It's a great principle, isn't it? If you've got something hard to say to someone, don't write it down. Don't fire off the cross email. Don't write the text and put a smiley face on the end as though that's going to convince them you really aren't stroppy. See them face to face. Have the conversation. I guess that's what John's planning to do with Gaius and Diotrophes. It would have been an interesting conversation to listen into. But the challenge to 3 John is the same for us as it was for him. Will we rejoice as we see people walking in the truth, will we so hold fast to the wonderful love of God to us and the Lord Jesus Christ that we will live lives loving one another? Our uh, four-year-old Thomas went to the uh, pantomime this week. I asked him what it was about. He said something to do with three pigs. And then he said, and we saw the real Father Christmas. The real Father Christmas. Well, I'm praying that... uh, this Christmas time, he might see a little bit more of the real follower of Christ in his father. That that I might be a little bit more of a man of integrity. 
a man who might be a little bit more like Gaius and Demetrius. Not just on a Sunday when I can do it all in front of you, but at home. Not just when I'm feeling chipper, but when I'm feeling grumpy. With all those valid reasons I have for my grumpiness. I long to be a man who walks the talk. A man of integrity. A man who you can see the truth of the love of God in Jesus in. Don't you long to be a person of integrity? Don't you long for us to be a church of integrity more and more? So, So here's a question for us to think through as a church as I close. How are we living as a church family in the way we love and relate to one another practically as such a a beautiful community so that if an outsider looked in on the life of us together as a church, not just on a Sunday, but 24-7, they'd see something that they wanted to be a part of. And they'd see just a little bit of a picture of what the whole world would be like if everyone had Jesus as Lord. We've got to live out the way God has loved us in the Lord Jesus, in practical love for one another. 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Verse 6, they have told the church, about your love. Let's pray together. Just in the quiet, maybe there's someone who you know that in this church family, you're struggling to love. Last week we heard about the need to forgive them and reconcile that relationship. And this week, the Lord's up the game. Maybe you need to welcome them into your home to show them hospitality. Maybe also there's someone you could think of who you give thanks to God for. They're your Demetrius, the person you look up to, the person who's modeled the Christian life to you. And maybe there's someone who is like Gaius is to John. Someone who brings you great joy because you've had the privilege of helping them know Christ and they're walking in the truth. Let's spend some time just praying for those individuals quietly in our hearts.